0: Welcome to I Run Radio. Coming up, the event that connects civilians and the military.
1: We often don't go out of our way to, you know, wave flags or or be as loud as maybe some of our, our southern uh, counterparts. And I think it's just a good opportunity to show the military we do care, we support them, and for people to connect with, uh, you know, with the military as well. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I love the event. I love it.
0: How races can have less of a carbon footprint.
2: I think people are reluctant to say oh wow you know this thing that I've been training for that's really important to me some sort of milestone or goal that I'm working towards is actually extremely detrimental to the planet (laughs) you know so it's it's, can you find those ways to hit those goals and personal best and have those novel experiences in the least environmentally destructive way possible and I think increasingly people are realizing that yes they totally can
0: and Terry Fox's legacy continues Thirty-nine years after the marathon of hope,
3: to see the his legacy grow the way it has—young um, people, new generations of children—and um, uh, continue what Terry started—it is truly amazing. And Terry would be so proud to know that. His sacrifice in 1980 has um, made an impact on cancer research and the lives of so many.
0: On this edition of iRun Radio, we'll talk to a runner who's getting ready for the latest edition of the very inspiring Canada Army run. iRun's Sarah Lazarevich will talk to us about how races are becoming more environmentally friendly and what runners can do to lessen their carbon footprint. And as thousands of runners across the country participate this weekend in the Terry Fox Run, we'll talk to Terry's older brother, Fred Fox. Let's get things started now with the editor and general manager of iRun, Ben Kaplan. Hello, Ben. Hey there. Congratulations on your latest marathon. I can't wait to hear all about it. Well, I do
4: appreciate that. I do appreciate it. You can teach an old dog new tricks,
0: (laughs) and I learned...
4: Quite frankly, the key to my marathon was being patient. Okay. I was, yeah. So for those people who
0: don't know, uh, you you ran a marathon in Erie, Pennsylvania last weekend, right? That's
4: correct. Yep.
0: And it went well.
4: uh, Yeah, it went really well. Uh, I ran 305, and generally if I want to run 305, I go for three hours, and I stick with the three-hour pacer until about 30K, And then I gradually bleed, uh, (laughs) lose the pacer, and people pass me, and then they stumble in at about 3.05, crying for my mother. Right. And what I did instead, this time to hit my 3.05, is I went with the 3.10 guy, and I would not speed up despite, you know, many people I know had sped up and folks I were talking with and people yeah were were moving beyond the, the three ten but the I temptations insisted.
0: there, right? Like you, the, you're yeah, feeling sure. the itch to run faster.
4: Sure. But you're but resisting I, uh, I did and I bid my time and I stayed till about at about mile sixteen and this was in Pennsylvania so I was in uh, in miles, but you know, sixteen miles is probably twenty eight uh, K, something along that I put my music on. And again, it's, you know, sort of unconsciously, but I sped up and I started passing people and it was, you know, I was really fine and I felt good the whole race and I never really went into the pain locker. And it was wonderful and it's a wonderful way to race and I had a negative split and I felt good at the end and uh,
0: yeah, terrific. So terrific, not only terrific, terrific, did you terrific. have a great time, but you had a great experience, right? Because you, Yeah. And that is, you know, look, you, if you're racing for time, there's all kinds of ways to do it. And, and sometimes, depending on the day and depending on what your goal is, you're going to have to go through that, that painful phase of a marathon, that last 5K really being demanding. We've all been there. But, uh, but in this case, you found a way to not only achieve the time you were looking for, but also enjoy the experience and not have the second half and particularly the last 5 to 7K be agonizing.
4: Yeah, and I'm not sure I want to nor need to put myself in that agonizing state. I believe that putting yourself in that is a good way to stop running. And I think the time goals that we sort of pick for ourselves are somewhat arbitrary. Sure. Because how do you really know? I mean, you know, what are you willing to do? I mean, and what's even healthy to do? And what are you willing to risk in terms of, you know, having to walk or having to go to a medic or something like that. So I was, uh, you know, I was pretty, yeah. pretty content that my really only goal for the race was to sort of, you know, finish with grace is what I was saying. And then, you know, as it got closer, I was thinking, you know, 310 would be good. I, you know, I needed 320 for Boston, but you know, so 310 is still fast. And I've been training a lot and training well, but I wasn't really, you know, I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't married to a number, you yeah. know, so,
0: we're we're really, too fixated on time because ultimately we're
4: too fixated on yeah, time. Yeah,
0: ultimately yeah. you're running a marathon. Isn't that good enough, right? I mean, it's like it's like having your dream job, but being disappointed that you're not making five thousand dollars a year more or something, right? Because <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, we should. I want to write that down. <laughs> you know, I don't know what bit of the culture introduced that, but I think what that does is it makes. You know, it's yeah. a good way to make you do it once and then quit if you don't enjoy the experience. Yeah. I mean, why do it? And I don't think you lose more calories or it's anything better. It's certainly not better for your body to you throw up on yourself or go to the bathroom on yourself or, yeah. you know, spend it's- the night and... In-
0: yeah, and, and not Hitty be able off. to run again for a week and and all of that. It's if look, it's good to have goals, and if there's a reason why, like Boston qualifying or or a personal best or or something like that that makes you want to strive for a particular time, that's all good, you know. And if that's what motivates you, fantastic. But if you're disappointed at the end of the marathon because you didn't hit a certain time that you know is pretty arbitrary to begin with then you're looking at it the wrong way, because you should just be happy that you're healthy, you're running, and you're in a marathon to begin with. Because all of that, from, from everything yeah. above that is house money, right?
4: Uh, you know, that's really, it, it. it's really, we're tapping into a pretty interesting thing. And you and I, you know, we're not spring chickens in that maybe if you're 21, <laughs> you know, you're yeah. 18, if you're at the University of Ottawa and you're trying to, you do some sort of thing, but if you're if you're getting out there after your job, I mean, we're not saying be, don't be ambitious and you know no. try for a thing, but you're running. I mean,
0: yeah, it's all know, relative. It's,
4: yeah, it's all relative, and I, you know, and I and I tell you the truth because the only metric that really matters is like how do you feel? You know, are are you yeah. happy? Are you frankly, you know? And I and I really was happy, and you know, a friend took some photos and you could see me, and it just they look. It looks great and it's great to speed up. I mean, it's horrible. I've been there so many times when I am at the end, people are just passing me, and you know, people are like, oh, and it's just like, all I want to do is just crawl into a ball and cars are coming in the other direction and I'm tempted to sort of step out in front of one of those cars to just end this thing.
0: (laughs) You know, but
4: it's like, you know, it's like, this time I was, I was good. I was good. I was good. And, uh, you know, that could be, and you know, it took me 20 times running these stupid things to get to that spot. So anybody listening, like, you know, if you haven't done that before, you can change. I think I'll probably, I'm sure I'll do it wrong the next time I do it because, but you know, but on this day, It went well, and it seems like it's replicable because all I really did was just be a little bit patient and a little bit smart.
0: Right on. Congratulations, my friend, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Ben Kaplan, I-Run's editor and general manager. Coming up next, one of many special connections to the Army Run. The Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon is flat, fast, and festive, and this year it's celebrating its 30th birthday. On October 20th, join some of Canada's fastest racers and compete for yourself on their 5K half marathon and marathon course. Register now at torontowaterfrontmarathon.com. It's become one of the most special events in Canada. The Canada Army Run is next weekend in Ottawa, and one of the thousands of runners who will be participating is Noel Payne. Noel, thank you for being with us.
1: My pleasure, Mark. It's always great to talk with you.
0: And you've done it many times. What is it that makes the Army Run so special?
1: Well, first of all, I mean, just the fact that it's an amazing uh, running event. I mean, right from the get-go, the Army Run was one of the biggest runs in Canada, and I think it's just a great running event. But for me personally, I've kind of got a connection um, with the Army Run. I'm a former uh, Air Force captain. Uh, and my father, or my grandfather, my, father, my, my grandfather uh, fought in the Second World War uh, in the Air Force and flew on the, uh, the Lancaster bombers. Um, so for me, there's a bunch of connections. You know, it's, I'm a runner, um, I've got a connection with the military, and then, uh, you know, which also connects me, I have that sort of connection with people that are still in uniform. Uh, I know the lifestyle and I can, I can relate. And and then I've got the connection too with uh with my grandfather. So for me it's it's a special event, more than just uh, you know, uh something you lace up and, and run.
0: Yeah, and I, I think there is the connection between that each of us has with the Canadian military that civilians have with the military that plays itself out over the course of this weekend right that's that's what you see on display you see people going to the expo and and talking to members of the Canadian armed forces you see them running side by side you see people applauding as as runners in uniform go running past that, that there is there is sort of you know everybody's there to run a race but but they're also there to share the experience to share the journey
1: I agree completely. I think um, whether people are just signing up signing up to just do a, a run or whether they have a connection, um, I think it's also an opportunity for the military to connect uh, with the public, for the public to sort of, you know, to meet someone in uniform. Not everybody, um, you know, knows somebody or has somebody in the family that is in the military. So sometimes it's a very foreign thing, um, and I think that's that chance where you get to meet somebody in uniform. Um Be involved in something, so I think it's all around a a really positive event.
0: Yeah, and there's, you know, this as a as a former member of the Canadian Armed Forces, that uh, look, there is uh, Canada is a peace loving nation, and we we don't show outwardly the same pride in our military, or haven't in the past at times as uh, as people in other countries, but I think there has been, especially since the war in Afghanistan, there's been a deepening of that relationship, a deeper respect for members of the Canadian Armed Forces and the sacrifice that they make, and, and uh, I, I think you see that playing out in an event like the Army run.
1: I, I agree completely. I, I think there's already an, an existing sort of pride and, and respect for the military, but I think oftentimes there's not as many opportunities in Canada to To show it, Um, I think we're a very sort of polite, quiet nation in general. Almost, uh, you know, for the we had our Canadian tennis champion on the weekend uh, win the U.S. Open, and the first thing she does is apologize for winning. (laughs) So we're we're very, we're very subdued with our with our pride and things.
0: Although, there, was it was nothing, was the there was nothing. was yeah. nothing apologetic about her performance. Uh, like it, no, when she not was on the court, she was not uh, I- excusing her behavior in in beating the uh, no. the American legend Serena Williams. So uh, we have to we have to point that out too.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. If anybody who hasn't seen it, she was simply being very Canadian uh, in her acceptance of uh, yes. <laughs> winning and apologizing to yeah. for for upsetting some of the fans it's a very canadian reaction uh, i think it's what the army runs too. we often we often don't go out of our way to you know wave flags or or be as loud as maybe some of our, our southern uh, counterparts and i think it's just a good opportunity to show the military we do care we support them and for people to connect with uh you know with the military as well yeah so, yeah I, I love the event i love it
0: tell me about some of your own experiences there in the, in the army run? In the army run,
1: yeah. Uh, well. For uh, so the first year, I remember. I remember signing up. My only experience with like a really sort of big run in Ottawa was was the Ottawa Race Weekend, and I remember signing up uh, for my first army run and was totally blown away uh, with how professional and how big the event was. The, the first couple of years, and it took off right off the bat. But there's a special spirit there. It's not just a big city race. Um, there's something special about it. It brings out it brings out a different group of runners as well that you wouldn't see at some of the other races. Um, and with the the are going off at the start. There's there's just something special, and I, I encourage everybody to come out. I don't know how to describe it, but there's um, there's a different feeling to the to the race weekend.
0: And tell me, uh, you know, as a race, let's leave uh, the military side uh, uh, to the side for a moment. Uh, Just as a race, I mean, let's not overlook the fact that, uh, it's it's a nice time of year in Ottawa. It's uh, it's late summer, early fall. The temperature is usually pretty cooperative, and uh, you're running through downtown Ottawa and through some very historic sites, including the Beechwood Cemetery and the grounds of Rideau Hall. So it has a unique character to it, just for those reasons alone, doesn't
1: it? Oh, I agree completely. And this year's even could even be better because we've got that start uh, at the the War Museum, which is perfect. So I think it it, it really connects with uh, a lot of the military locations in the city. It's 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 a unique event. It's a definitely unique event, and it's taking it up a notch again this year.
0: Yeah. And it's- and- It brings a lot of people here. You know, I find it interesting that when I travel to other cities in the country, how often people mention the Army Run, either that they've done it or that they want to do it. It really, there uh, there are a lot of events in this country, uh, running events. We're lucky that we have so many different events to choose from. But I think for a lot of people, this one really stands out as one they want to do at some point in their running careers.
1: Exactly. And it's one of the few opportunities, too, where... uh Ill and injured sort of members come out and run. So those in the military, we don't see as many coming back from Afghanistan or you know those those, those missions where there where there is sort of active combat. But so we see less of them in, in the field. But it's it's an opportunity as well to see those people who have you know been out there fought for our country or fought for causes away from their family and friends, and then come back overcome challenges and then to come to a race and show people what they've overcome it's pretty amazing to see as well
0: yeah tell me a little bit Noel, about how your own running has been going lately
1: oh. <laughs> before <laughs> we started this interview i will give you a quick heads up yeah mm-hmm. i'm i was hoping to to race the army run and uh sort of be a be a quick sort of snapshot of where how the training was going but uh, as you know, Mark, as someone who's done a few marathons, um, getting to the start line is often awesome. the hardest yeah. part, getting that consistent training. So I had a few weeks in, in around you know, 120, 150 kilometers. Wow. And the last few weeks, just because uh, yeah, of family and other stuff, it just fell apart. So I've got six weeks left to pound in some training, and I'm just going to enjoy the Army run. And I'm going to go to the start line of my, my marathon in October, uh, one just north of uh, Ottawa and Gatineau. And I'm just, you know what, I'll give it whatever I've got in the legs and we'll, we'll go from there. I think that's kind of like life and everything else, right? you got to, nothing's perfect. So I will repair the training that's you know, that I've done. I'll repair what, what damage I can do, of, you know, I can repair and uh, go enjoy the run.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds I like you were doing right, a lot sure, of training yeah. before that, so maybe that will sustain you. Uh, I'm sure you'll be fine. Wh- which event is it that you're going to be doing?
1: It's the it's marathon. It's the Petit Train de Nord.
0: Yes, okay.
1: Yeah, so it's it's the one that's sort of very slightly downhill all the way and on on an old uh, rail bed. Right. So it, sh- should, be a, it should be a fun a fun marathon to do.
0: Yeah, in Quebec, not too far from Mont-Tremblant, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It kind of starts up north and kind of winds its way. Uh, in a Southern, Southern direction. So yeah, I think you'll be fine.
0: You'll be fine. I'll
1: be fine. It's, you know what it's like. It's more mental than anything, right?
0: And any day you run a marathon is a good day, no matter what your finishing time. So
1: I agree. I agree.
0: agree. All right. Great stuff. Listen, Noel, I really appreciate you joining us uh, and sharing all of your connections to the army run. It is a terrific event. We're looking forward to it again, this year in Ottawa. Thank you for sharing your stories and good luck in your races this fall.
1: Thanks, Mark. I, I appreciate being on, and I encourage everybody to get out there and do the Army run. If you haven't signed up this year, and it's and, or even if it's too late, sign up next year.
0: All right. Good stuff, Noel. Thank you.
1: Take care. Run on.
0: That is Noel Payne coming up next, making races more environmentally friendly. The Scotiabank Toronto Waterfront Marathon is flat, fast, and festive. And this year, it's celebrating its 30th birthday. On October 20th, join some of Canada's fastest racers and compete for yourself on their 5K half marathon and marathon course. Register now at TorontoWaterfrontMarathon.com. We love running races, but they haven't always been particularly environmentally friendly. Races create a lot of garbage. And then there's the carbon footprint of flying to a destination event. Sarah Lazarevich is a runner in Toronto who has been writing about this issue for iRun, and she joins us now on iRun Radio. Hi, Sarah. Welcome back. Thank
2: you. Thank you for having me.
0: So as a runner, we we have a lot to think about when it comes to the environment, obviously, because we're traveling to races in other places, sometimes by car sometimes by plane and then you know the races themselves we i think we all have to acknowledge when you know we're getting handed all this stuff at the expo and then on race day itself and we're just discarding it you know there is a footprint there isn't there yeah no
2: that's what i've been thinking about a lot it's, it's a huge footprint
0: yeah so no intended. <laughs> yeah. so what do we what should we be thinking about as runners what what are some of the things that uh We should consider what are some of the things we should address as a running community?
2: Sure. So I think, I mean, I guess the biggest thing is like, you know, you have to reconcile your personal goals with the actual environmental footprint. And I think people are reluctant to say, oh, wow, you know, this thing that I've been training for, that's really important to me, some sort of milestone or goal that I'm working towards is actually extremely detrimental to the planet, (laughs) you know? So it's, It's can you find those ways to hit those goals and personal best and have those novel experiences in the least environmentally destructive way possible and I think increasingly people are realizing that yes they totally can like sure like marathon tourism is great but maybe you don't have to do six marathons this year or like maybe you can pick one that you're working towards maybe you've actually never done this really beautiful marathon that's only a drive or a train ride instead of a flight across the Atlantic you know so there's that kind of top level stuff like where, what are the actual races that you're thinking about and then locally when you're doing those training races like when I started doing this research I was like wow I complain about races but there's so many waste-free races I didn't even know about the MEC ones that are like so low maintenance, just get out there and run no extra garbage, no unnecessary if you're like, I want, to, I want to train, I want to be doing a half marathon to train for something this month what can I do when you're comparing two races look at the one that, you know doesn't <laughs> doesn't do as much environmental damage as the other ones and a lot of the bigger races obviously are becoming much, much, much more sustainable like with, you know, Chicago setting the pace being completely zero waste, um, gosh I keep unintentionally punning uh, and uh, lots of races following suit and you can go now and you can see like what are their, you know, lots of them do environmental assessments, watch them publish their sustainability goals and tell you, you know, what they're doing to remediate the fact that, you know, 30,000 people flew to the town and used, I don't know, a million paper cups and, and whatnot. So there's tons. There's tons that we can do.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and it's it is it does put us at odds with ourselves, right? Because we want to explore and see the world. Uh, exactly. We want to participate in these events. And then we have to confront the fact that... Uh, that they cause damage and and it and it's interesting to me because the more you travel the world the more you care about it and yeah. and the more, and but then again the more you travel the world the more of a footprint you make so yeah. there are all these yeah. sort of there are all these sort of paradoxes to this
2: Yeah, and I mean, it's the hardest thing for people to wrap their heads around. People get really defensive. Like when the New York Times recently published their epic piece about, you know, we got to stop traveling, you can just see the comments of people because we've also been given this party line for so long that travel's good for you. You have to broaden your experiences. You know, how to fight xenophobia, travel. And it's been sort of like, you know, sold to us for so long as this like mind enhancing thing that we are, that we are we're doing a service to the world by expanding our own horizons and traveling and supporting, you know, people tout the same lines. Like, you know, we're supporting local economies. And it's like you actually have to step back and say a lot of times it's not healthy tourism. You know, it's great. Everybody loves to travel, but, you know, we just can't do it at the scale that we're doing. And we can't use our own personal goals as, like, a way to rationalize or justify our footprint. You know, it's just like it's okay. You know, lots of us, you're going to travel. Maybe you have this plan. In five years, you want to run this marathon who knows where and that's fine but just admit what it's doing and and just try to be conscious about those choices so you know i certainly wouldn't say give those things up like my husband's running um a marathon this weekend but it's great because it was a four-hour drive away instead of you know flying to meet a bunch of friends in california right so you can have great experiences and keep training and keep running and see beautiful places um and often there's like so many opportunities right around you that you might not even have been aware of because you know running the dublin marathon seems more exciting than running the marathon that's in a nice city 3 hours away.
0: Now you mentioned the Chicago Marathon and other events that are that are trying to be much more sustainable. What are some of the things that they're doing in order to in order to accomplish that?
2: Yeah, Chicago's doing like all sorts of stuff like you, the the dirt the, the compost generated at the marathon—I hope I get this exactly right—is actually like turned into garden mulch that is then used to like you know fertilize the parks uh, around the marathon site, like above and beyond, right? And if you go, they actually have comprehensive information on their on their website where you can see everything they're doing. I mean, just right down to like you know the, the snacks being offered. The I mean, I think they still get medals, but just you can do so much. And and I think the there's a lot of, like, preconceived worry about sponsors not being on board and things like that. And from people that we interviewed, like at Chicago and elsewhere, they're often happy to be on side. Um, Chicago is just one. I think it was the Calgary Marathon, you know, they, they I think Jugo Juice or another company, people wanted to sponsor. And, you know, they said, sure, you, could, you can be here, but is there any way you could switch to compostable cups? And I think um, a lot of races get worried about, will people come on board? And they almost always say yes. They're happy to learn. And they're like, no problem. We're happy to do that, right? We're happy to reduce the waste in any way we possibly can. So, you know, it's it's all those little things along the way. The race itself, the can you switch to a digital race kit instead of, you know, a bag full of stuff that people don't want. If you provide digital freebies, like a digital coupon is amazing because you're still getting that sponsor love. You're, you're providing someone an opportunity to get something if they need it, but you haven't printed all this paper or given people things they really don't want. So, you know, just thinking about the ways to switch up all the little things along the way. And obviously, it can be difficult. Not everybody wants to carry water. You know, you're still going to need certain kinds of things, but there's so many things you can do um, along the way, yeah.
0: Yeah, and and there are other options. I think that's what we're learning, that uh, the defaults aren't necessarily the only choice, right? So
2: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The defaults aren't the only choice. And um, people tend to have a preconceived notion, like once they do a race, they want it to always be that way. So when new races start up, like the Calgary founders a couple of years ago were talking to us about starting another race, which is a race at the zoo, but it was a brand new race. So when you start a new race, you have a chance to switch up those defaults and say, okay, maybe this is a race that doesn't use any race. Maybe this is a race where you don't get a T-shirt and a medal and a trophy and a whatnot. And if it's set that way, then those are people's expectations. And so instead of people feeling like, oh, I took something away from they they don't get as much as they used to for their admission fee. They feel this is totally what how this race is, and now the terms have been set.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. But I think there is room for existing events to say, you know what, we don't want at the end of this event for our legacy to be thousands of happy runners, and tens of thousands of paper cups going to landfill, exactly. right?
2: Exactly. And I think nobody wants that. Yeah, yeah. So I think yeah. and it's up to them to be the thought leaders and just say, and I think, and I think if you explain to people, they'll often come around. If you explain why, you know, oh, in the past we've done a waste on it, and we've produced, you know, a ton of garbage that's really not necessary. Here's what we're doing instead. Then, you know, people will often come around.
0: How's your own running going, Sarah?
2: I'm slow and steady.
0: <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I'm
2: I'm a, I'm a slow runner. Uh, I'm a slow long runner. So yeah, I would like to run some more races. But yeah, as I said, I, I want to run some of those races that are completely zero waste. So I just and since I don't I don't care so much about you know beating any amazing times or anything like that. For me, it's like, do I even need the race? Because then I don't then I just bring my own water. I don't produce any waste. <laughs> and but yes, I get the importance of constantly trying to better yourself and and so I do want to get back out into the. The
0: racing world, yeah, and and I think it's all about removing that conflict as much as you can between, you know, to use the Oprah expression, living your best life and uh, protecting the planet, right? Because sometimes those two things can be at odds, but you gotta find ways. You gotta find ways to to put them in harmony.
2: That's exactly it. That's exactly it, because, you know, you don't want to say to someone who's working really hard for, for a race goal or doing something that's going to make them feel physically better, makes make, make them feel proud of themselves, and, you know, give them some amazing experience that they've never had before. You obviously do not want to discourage that. You just want to work on a way to make it less environmentally destructive.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. All right, great stuff, yeah. Sarah. It's it's so good to hear your thoughts on all of this, and I think it is something that all runners think about or should be thinking about so thanks for sharing with us today and happy running
2: oh thank you so much thanks for talking about it
0: sarah lazarevich is a runner and i run contributor in toronto coming up next terry fox's brother on the legacy of the marathon of hope the Scotiabank toronto waterfront marathon is flat fast and festive and this year it's celebrating its 30th birthday On October 20th, join some of Canada's fastest racers and compete for yourself on their 5K half-marathon and marathon course. Register now at torontowaterfrontmarathon.com. Thousands of runners across Canada are participating in the 39th annual Terry Fox Run this weekend, it's a very special event that reminds us of Terry's legacy and the extraordinary impact of the Terry Fox Foundation on cancer research and treatment. We are joined by Terry's brother, Fred Fox. Thank you, Mark.
3: It's awesome to be back in Ottawa.
0: Great to see you. And uh, uh, what does it mean for you and for your family to see this run continue and and flourish every year and to see so many people, some of them new, some of them young, mm. participating in this event and seeing Terry's legacy be sustained in that way so many years on now. We're we're talking almost 40 years now, right?
3: Yeah, it's the, you know, Terry was finished running. He was forced to stop running 39 years ago on September 1st, and uh, it means everything to our family to see this. Um, Terry, when he left Newfoundland on uh, April 12th, 1980, he'd hoped to impact cancer research. He thought maybe he could raise a million dollars, and... Uh, um, he made his way through the Maritime Provinces, Newfoundland, Maritime Provinces, Quebec, arriving in Ontario where everything kind of went crazy. and mm-hmm. the, But a good crazy because more money was being raised. That's all that mattered to Terry. And, and to see the his legacy grow the way it has, um, young people, new generations of children, and um, uh, continue what Terry started, it is truly amazing. And Terry would be so proud to know that, his sacrifice in 1980 has um, made an impact on cancer research and the lives of so many.
0: I was 12 in 1980, and mm. uh, and uh, remember when Terry Fox came to Ottawa and and kicked the ball at the football <laughs> game, and then we were traveling in another part of Ontario a couple of weeks later, and and they were preparing for him to arrive, and by then the momentum had really built through his trip to Toronto. Um, and, um, and of of course I remember the day Terry died the next year, uh, and I was, I actually delivered the newspaper, the Ottawa Citizen, I was a paper carrier and delivered the newspaper with that news on it, and, and it was a very emotional day, um, but what's really strikes me is not that Terry means something to me, but that he means something to my kids, either who are 10 and 8, who were not alive then, uh, and not even close, and, um, and, you know, i my kids were at a camp this summer, and there was uh, there were on, at the school where the camp was. There was all kinds of information about Terry Fox on the wall of this yeah. school. You know, there's it's it's so pervasive, and uh, I don't think anybody could have imagined that in 1981, 1982,
3: right? Not not at all. And you know, the school programs um, across the country are are an amazing thing. Um, I think there's something like nine thousand schools in Canada, over four thousand in in uh, Ontario they're involved with the Terry Fox run and um, I visited a few schools already this week down in Kingston area and uh, kids love Terry Fox and I and when I share Terry's story to to students I talk about Terry uh, growing up with Terry I'm only a year older than Terry and what it was like what he was like just an average ordinary kid Uh, we talk about Terry's values his characteristics of uh, working hard never giving up uh, not being the best and um, think kids can relate to that. And the other thing, Terry never gets older. He's always this 21-year-old kid running, uh, and we see him running in video or photos of him. Terry's always kind of close to their age, and kids relate to him, um, are inspired by him. Terry inspires them to, doesn't matter how big you are or whatever, but you can uh, accomplish anything you set your mind to.
0: Yeah, I think that that point about him never getting older is so relevant because he's like a superhero in that way, right? Yeah. He's like a, almost like a fictional character in that respect, that he stays the same age and he stays with us, kind of captured, that moment in time is captured and preserved. Um, when you talk to kids, uh, do you... Do you try to tell them something they may not know about Terry Fox?
3: You, you bet. Um, you know, a lot of it, I, I, I do a PowerPoint presentation and I'm showing photos of Terry and I as little kids from the time he was two to during the marathon of hope. And uh, we share little tidbits about what Terry was like. Uh, I share a story that mom used to share about Terry being very determined as a four-year-old, trying to make a pyramid out of, wooden, uh, of the wooden blocks that we had when we were little kids. And, uh, Talk about Terry and I as teenagers to earn a little bit of extra money because mom and dad just wouldn't go out and buy us uh, our first set of golf clubs or our first 10 speed. We had to earn that, and Terry earned the value of money and the value of working hard, and we picked blueberries to do that. So, you know, those little things that kids didn't know that they can relate to and um, um, all, all the things about, you know, playing sports and uh, that Terry wasn't the best athlete that... Uh, you know he he almost got cut from playing his grade eight basketball year and um um you know but he never quit. he was determined and uh, he was told to uh maybe he'd be better at cross country and that kind of sparked Terry to take up cross country and be a runner and um um if he hadn't have been told in grade eight that he shouldn't play basketball but maybe take up cross country he might not have ever uh you know decided to run across Canada
0: yeah. Uh, an important part of this story is the money that gets mm. raised. And I think sometimes, because uh, we focus uh, so much on Terry's legacy and and his story that we don't talk enough about the incredible benefit that's been created by the funding for cancer research that has been generated by the Terry Fox run and by all the other activities of the Terry Fox Foundation. So mm-hmm. uh, tell us a little bit about that because the numbers are astronomical. And, and I know there are people, uh, I've talked to people who are directly impacted by the research that's been done.
3: Yeah, and ultimately that's what Terry wanted to do. He wanted to know that what he was doing in 1980 would eventually, in the future, um, impact others' lives. That's what's, what inspired Terry when he was, for the first time in 1977, going through chemotherapy treatments, and uh, it soon became apparent that didn't matter how sick he, he was from chemo or in, uh, anything like that. He was more worried about what other people were doing. And when Terry left Newfoundland, he'd hoped to raise $1 million um, today, because of all the Terry Fox runs that have happened uh, you know, over the last 38 years and the marathon of hope um, we're over $750 million. And I, you know, I, I don't like to really focus on the dollar amount as much as I do about uh, the impact it's had. And uh, so many, People are surviving because of research today. Canada has some of the best researchers in the world. Um, um, And uh, survival rates are so much better in in the cancers that we know people who have been diagnosed, whether it's breast cancer, prostate cancer, lung cancer. uh, Childhood leukemias are so much better than they were 10, 20, 40 years ago. And uh, that's what Terry would be the proudest of.
0: And some of that research is happening right here in Ottawa. I know you've supported yeah. some of the work that's going on here in a number of different ways. And um, a couple of years ago, uh, I was the MC for the Terry Fox Run for the sort of pre-run ceremonies that happened at Carleton University here in Ottawa. And I introduced a speaker who was a young woman who had the same cancer that Terry did, mm-hmm. uh, but she did not lose her leg and uh, she was in remission and she had the prospect of a full and healthy life ahead of her, unlike Terry, uh, because of the progress that has happened in the meantime and because of the medical research that has been funded by the Terry Fox Foundation.
3: You bet. And it's often said that if, um, you know, the research had been where it is today, back in 1977, when Terry was first diagnosed, he might be with us today. And uh, um, so the research is truly making a difference. Um I get a chance to meet researchers right across this country, and who are uh, through the Terry Fox Research Institute. Um, you know, they uh, distribute the money to different research programs. Uh, Terry just didn't want his type of cancer, osteogenic sarcoma, to be um, research to be done on that. He wanted all cancers, and um, so we we fund research in about ten or eleven different types of cancers across Canada, and. Like you say, here in Ottawa, it's amazing what they're doing. And um, uh, that's what it was all about for Terry. Uh, not about Terry Fox when he was running across Canada. He wanted the focus to be on the Marathon of Hope, and and uh, every donation made a difference. And Terry um, Terry had hoped that would, would one day.
0: Yeah. And uh, as far as we have gone and as, as much uh, as, as has been accomplished, there is still so much more to do right uh, and there are diagnoses every day i i just learned of a family member of mine in in the uk who's been diagnosed with cancer today uh and uh so you know it it continues to happen and and uh, we need even more money it, to fight so, this
3: so true and we, we lost our dad three years ago um to lung cancer um um and then you know last year year ago we've a cousin uh and and one of dad's brothers so yeah, it's close to our family. Um, Terry was a first in our family, and uh, but it, we're all touched by cancer. And Terry would say that in his speeches, um, you know, we'll all know somebody at one point—maybe a family member, a friend, a neighbor down the street, some you know, somebody that uh, we know—and um, that's why it was important to um, continue his dream to raise money for cancer research. And we do have a lot of work to do yet, uh, but um, we're getting closer, and uh, people. It's, it's amazing, and it's emotional, and it's amazing when I meet people that lost a family member maybe a couple, few years ago, but they're so happy that um, the research that's happening today gave them three, four, five, up to 10 years longer because of uh, what's happening with the money that's being raised. Yeah.
0: You mentioned your parents, and I know you've, you've lost them recently, mm. and they were... Uh, such a visible part of uh, of the of Terry's story over the intervening years. Uh, I understand that a new generation in the Fox family is participating and 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 at a higher level now than than before. So it's not just uh, my kids and and other people's kids who uh, have this awareness of Terry and and through whom the legacy continues, but through Terry's nieces and nephews.
3: You bet. Um... You know, we lost our mom eight years ago, and uh, she was kind of the matriarch of our family, and uh, she had, right away after Terry passed away, she was um, out there. She could have easily just said, you know, Terry did the marathon, I hope money's been raised, that's awesome, you know, that's good, and, but she, the Canadians wanted to continue this, so she got out there and public spoke and shared Terry's story for 30 years, and we lost mom eight years ago, dad three years ago, and uh, as part of the Terry Fox Foundation, our governance, uh, we've got a board of directors, a us as family members or members of the organization and um we my brother daryl Ju, sister judy and i decided that it's time to you know look in the future and we've brought our children on terry has uh terry would have had uh, nine nieces and nephews and five of those kids they're not kids they're all between 20 and they're my oldest is is 36 and they're this year for the first time they're going to be out amongst the country and um so they're gonna, my son will be in Newfoundland, uh, my oldest daughter in New Brunswick, my youngest daughter in Manitoba and Winnipeg, and Judy's daughter, oldest daughter in, in Nova Scotia, and, and Daryl's daughter, Alex, will be in Toronto. So with Daryl being in Montreal and I'll be in Lethbridge. So uh, we're all across the country sharing Terry's story. None of these kids met their Uncle Terry, and, but they've lived Terry um, from the time they were sure. born and participated in runs. And uh, um, they're happy and excited about the opportunity.
0: I met your mother on Canada Day when she was in Ottawa, maybe uh, ten, twelve years ago, something like that. And she was, uh, we we were broadcasting live on Canada Day from right next to the Terry Fox statue across the street that. from from uh, Parliament Hill, and um, met your dad uh, when that wonderful exhibit at the Canadian Museum of History was launched. Uh, what it was four or five years yeah. ago, um, and it was an honor to meet both of them, as it is to meet every member of your family. Um, uh, best of luck to you uh, as you continue to to share Terry's story and promote his legacy. It's going to be another terrific day on Sunday uh, here in Ottawa and throughout the country and beyond. Let's not forget the international yeah. component to this too, which again, unfathomable in 1981 to think about Terry Fox runs in countries all over the world, but I, I have friends who lived in Argentina for a mm. number of years and there were Terry Fox runs there. Yeah. Incredible.
3: Yes, it's amazing and uh We've had the opportunity. I was actually in New York last October and uh, celebrating their 25th annual Terry Fox Run in Central Park. Canadian from Regina organizes that event and have been had the opportunity to be in in Doha, Cotter, and uh, in Dubai as well. So it's amazing that Terry's uh, message of hope, making a difference, is also in uh, countries around the world.
0: Absolutely. As Canadian as the Maple Leaf. You bet. Fred, thank you so much, and and good luck with the Terry Fox Run on
3: Sunday. Thanks, Mark.
0: That is Fred Fox, Terry Fox's older brother. Good luck to everyone participating in the Terry Fox run. Coming up in the weeks ahead on iRun radio, a track coach who ran a hundred kilometers to settle a bet with his students and we'll talk to more participants in the Army run. I hope you can join us next week on iRun radio. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.